0: All right, Isaiah 49, if you're able to, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to sit. 14, 15, and 16 is where we're going to begin tonight. Isaiah 49, 14, 15, and 16. The Bible says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child? that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palm of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Again, finish up last week's Bible study, the title of it being Engraved in the Hand of God. Let's pray. Thank you for being perfect, God. And really, sum up the whole Bible study tonight. You're perfect and we're not. And Lord, um, your character is flawless, ours is flawed. Uh, Lord, your um, faithfulness is, uh, is uh, flawless, and our faithlessness is a sure thing. But Lord, even though we are not who we ought to be all the time, you are just um, so good to us. And so as we look at the Bible tonight, and we're reminded of some of the things we covered last week, and then look at the rest of this passage, help us to be encouraged by what we read Help us to find rest. May we orient ourselves on the rock, on the Bible, and, Lord, on, on our Savior. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for being always the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Engraved in the hand of God. All right. So, uh, we talked about how, last week, uh, we talked about how that, uh, it, this, is, this passage we're looking at is a Jewish passage. He said that um, uh, Israel, Zion being another name for Jerusalem, felt forsaken and forgotten. And how that God is using Isaiah to say, when you feel that way, don't forget, I have you engraved in my hand. I have you engraved in my hand. I have the cities of Jerusalem engraved in my hand. And I'm never going to forget you, even though it may feel that way sometimes, I'm never going to forget you. And I told you last week that we want to try to be honest with the passage. We don't want to try to read something into it that's not there. Uh, This does not mean that Gentiles are, are engraved in the hand of God, because we're not. But yet there's something greater than being engraved in the hand of God, and that's something else that's in the hands of Jesus. That's nail prints. Jesus took nails into his hands and his feet so that our souls could be saved. And while our hands may not be engraved in the hand of God... Uh, he's got nail prints in his hands because of our sin. And that's a lot of love. That's a lot of love. And we have a promise that God does not forget us either. In fact, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And what a great day that's going to be when uh, we stand in front of the Gate of Heaven and uh, the RSVP list. Does anyone know what RSVP actually stands for? Do you know, Tom? What he just said i i it sounds like another language it's french okay the RSV, the vip list there we go very important persons all right and uh, so you're standing there and they open up the lamb's book of life and there is your name written in, in the blood of jesus christ all right and you get access into heaven because of the nail prints of jesus so The first part of this uh, chapter is aimed at the Gentiles, and the second half of the chapter is more aimed at the Jews, but still has some implication for the Gentiles. So we looked in great detail last week at the first half of the chapter, 1 through 13. Tonight we're going to focus primarily on 14 through 26, all right? And so we've got two points here. I gave you point one last week. That covered verse 1 through 13. Tonight, we're going to look at verse 14 through 26. Let's quickly review what we looked at last week. Notice uh, again with me, we said the duty of God's servant. And so this is a prophecy about the suffering servant of Jesus Christ. So look with me at verse number um, one, and we see the task of the servant, letter A, his task, and we said it was to reprove Israel. Look at one and two, listen, O isles unto me, and arken ye people from far, so anytime you see idols or people from afar, this is the Jewish prophet Isaiah talking to Gentiles, people outside of the borders, and this is encompassing all Gentiles. It says, "The Lord hath called me from the womb from the bowels of my mother, hath he made me mention, hath he made mention of my name, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword." In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. So he came... To rep- reprove Israel, we see there it says that he came with a uh, uh, as a sharp sword. We saw last week in Matthew ten twenty four where Jesus said, "Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword." He said, "I came to be a sword." And Jesus was quite contentious with many of his Jewish brethren. Galatians four four tells us, "In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son." That's that polished shaft, being shot down out of heaven into um, onto earth, and he came to reprove Israel. And he did, and as a result, uh, we see next his duty. He came to be rejected by Israel, to be rejected by Israel. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 49. And unto me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for naught. And in vain yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. So he said, my earthly work feels very rejected and indeed was rejected. We know that he was arrested and uh, they were um, offered Jesus or Barabbas to be set free. And who do they pick? They pick Barabbas. Jesus was rejected. His work of healing and loving and teaching was rejected by his own and then he was nailed to a cross. But his work was not rejected by God in heaven. It would have implications that went far beyond Israel. And that brings us to the last of the tasks, and that was to reach the Gentiles. Look back at Isaiah 49 verse 5 and 6. And now that thus, and now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Thou, though Israel be not gathered, Yet shall I be glory, glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my servant unto the end of the earth and so he came to reach the gentiles we looked at acts 1 8 where he told the disciples as he ascended go not only to the jews go not only to the half jews in samaria but go to the uttermost parts of the earth and then we took the time to look at ephesians 3 1 through 9 where paul said hey i am I am a light to the Gentiles. And uh, we said in Isaiah 49, although Paul is not directly prophesied, he is indirectly prophesied. So we see the task of the servant, and then now we see, letter B, the triumph of the servant, his triumph. And we emphasized um, three things below this also. We saw in verse 8, we saw his work reinforced. Go back to Isaiah 49, look at verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause, to inherit the desolate heritages. And we looked at 2 Corinthians 6, where it says um, uh, that salvation comes... Um, let's see. It says in Second Corinthians six, we then as work uh, workers together with him. Beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he said, "I have heard thee in a time accepted." Here it is, and in the day of salvation, if I secured thee or secured thee, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so, uh, salvation came to the Gentiles, and they didn't have to convert from being a Gentile into being a Jew uh, when Jesus died on the cross and offered salvation. They could re- remain in their Gentile culture and yet become a child of God. So we see God in heaven reinforcing the work of the servant, and then we see the weary revived. Look at look down at verse 9 and 10, Isaiah 49, 9 and 10 that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth, to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he uh, that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Look down at verse th- 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and bring forth into singing O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. And so we see uh, the weary revived. And we know that the Gentiles lived in, for the most part, lived in darkness for a uh, very long time, for millennia. Multi millennia, and um, uh, they were offered. We saw Sunday night. They were offered the courtyard of Solomon's temple to come and seek God and hear prayers. There was. There's always been an avenue for everyone to make it to God, but by and large, the Gentile people they lived in darkness and they were involved in paganism and. Uh, and wickedness. And when Jesus came and died on the cross and ascended to heaven, he sent out his disciples, primarily Paul, to all of the Gentiles. And we are here today. We're no longer a weary people. We're a revived people. And really, God is working through the Gentile church more than he's working through the Israelite nation right now uh, as a result of this light coming to the Gentiles and the weary being revived. Now let's look at one more here, and then we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Let's see his ways repaired. His ways repaired, and um, and, and here's where we stopped last week. I gave you this one, and uh, very little comment. And so we're going to pick up right here. Look at verse eleven. All right, um, it says, "For mine own sake, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Here it is. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted." Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Now, Sinem is southern Egypt, from what I understand here. So, he's saying that I'm going to make highways. Alright, I'm going to take the high high locations that are hard to traverse and the, the valleys that are hard to traverse, and I'm going to make them flat, I'm going to make a highway that is uh, manageable so that you can travel and you can get to a place of great serenity and peace. I wrote down that uh, this is both a literal highway and a metaphorical highway. Alright, let me give you first the metaphorical highway and let me offer you a verse, a couple of verses on this. Notice that this is a highway of communication. A highway of communication. Do you remember back maybe in, in school, in history class, how many of you enjoyed history class in school? Raise your hand for me. How many of you did not enjoy history class in school? Alright, you know what I have found is that it all depends on who your teacher is. You got a good teacher, you enjoy history class, you got a bad teacher, you probably didn't like history class, and if you had a good teacher and you still didn't like history class, that just means you were a terrible student. So, how many of you here just are willing to admit I had a good teacher, I was just a terrible student? Anybody? Okay, no hands, no one's willing, okay, well, you can kick a couple, all right. Um, So, uh, by the way, if you don't like church, you either got a bad preacher or you're just a terrible church member, so you got to decide which one it is, all right? Um, uh, Mark chapter 16, can you turn over to Mark 16? Now, remember, the, the, the uh, news of salvation had very much grown dark and had not traveled to lands like, um, you know, outside of the borders of Israel. And, um, you know, before Jesus came, between, between, say, the flood and Jesus, there just wasn't a lot of communicating of salvation or the method of salvation uh, to the Gentile world. For the most part, they lived in darkness. They were born. They died. And they, they spent any, went to spend an eternity in hell. And it wasn't that they couldn't have found the truth. It's just that they didn't find the truth. And then, lo and behold, Jesus comes. And uh, this light, as I, Isaiah describes it in 49, is made available. And now we have a highway of communication. Back to history class. Do you remember learning about when they laid the first uh, cable in the Atlantic Ocean so that there could be communication between Europe and the New World or the U.S.? You remember this? And now there are multiple lines that lay in the ocean, and now there are multiple satellites that help relay information, right? And isn't it amazing uh, how far we've come with our communication? Isn't it amazing? Um, I can hop on my phone when I get home tonight, and I do this sometimes on a Wednesday night, and I can open up my phone app, and I can hit a button, and I can be live video calling my sister who lives on the other side of the international dateline, and I can have a video call, and I can see her kids playing in their living room on the other side of the globe on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Isn't that amazing? And I can do it mostly for free. I say mostly. i got to pay for the phone. She's got to pay for the phone. We've got to have internet service. But I don't get charged to make that call. You understand what I'm saying? It's amazing. Now, um, it isn't just... Guess what? That makes the world smaller. It, it isn't just that that we're talking about. Think about now how that there was a disconnect of truth from the Jewish world to the Gentile world and then Jesus came in and metaphorically he made a communication highway for the gospel to get out to everyone. Look at Mark 16 and look what Jesus told his disciples as he ascended. Look at verse 15. All right. Let me have some of the men here read tonight. I'm going to start on the left side of the room, my left auditorium, right? Brother Mark, uh, brother, brother Mark, brother Tom, why don't you read verse 15, Mark 16 verse 15. Jesus is telling his Jewish disciples, go into all the world. Hey, take the truth, get on your horses, get on your donkeys, get on your feet, and go to every corner of the world. And preach the gospel. See the highway of communication here. See how he commanded them to do this. And by the way, they didn't want to do it at first. You know what they did? They hunkered down in Jerusalem until persecution came. And then when persecution came, they got up and they went to Samaria. And then persecution came to Samaria. And then they made it to the other most parts of the world. In fact, uh, there is a statue of the Apostle Thomas in India where he was killed. And uh, Thomas, uh, where the region he went to, is the most Christian part of the nation of India. And Thomas had a lot to do with that. Thomas, the disciple of Christ who doubted. Many of the disciples, um, history tells us, died in the Gentile world, giving the gospel. So this is a highway of communication. Notice not only it's a metaphorical highway, uh, Isaiah 35, turn over to Isaiah 35, this is going to be a literal highway to Jerusalem for people to be able to traverse. You've heard the old adage, all roads lead to Rome. In the millennial reign, all roads will lead to Jerusalem. And Jew and Gentile alike will go there to worship King Jesus. Look at Isaiah 35, and let's read verses 8, 9, and 10. Brother Okai, I believe last week you were the only adult male in the room not to read. So I'm going to get you in this time, all right? You can't skip out on me. Did you read last week? No, you don't you didn't mind. Right? I wasn't picking on you, but I am now. Can you read verses 8, 9 and 10? Yes. Isn't that beautiful? Just to read it, just to think about that. There's going to be a day where there's a highway from um, all over the, the, the land there that you can travel. And fools won't be allowed to travel that path. Only the redeemed will. And uh, there won't be any dangerous animals on that highway, Right? The the high places will be made flat, the low places will be brought up, and uh, you'll travel and you'll sing and praise and exalt the Lord as you enter Jerusalem and worship your Savior. It's going to be a great day. We're talking about a literal highway that will be there. So we see here His ways repaired. And right now we live in a world where God's ways are broken, are they not? It's just not popular to love the Lord and do what's right and walk in truth. Um, uh, truth is uh, is is put down and uh, doing wrong is elevated. But one day it's going to be popular to love God. One day it's going to be popular to do right. One day it's going to be popular to say amen. I think it's funny. My family has picked up on this phrase. When something goes really well, my wife started this in our home. Anytime something goes well, she goes, oh, praise the Lord. And so now we're out in public, and um, something happens that's good, and my daughter will say, oh, praise the Lord, and the looks that we get, right? People look at us like, what? What'd you just say? You know, they're not used to hearing that. One day when we say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God is good, Uh, the Lord be exalted, amen. You know what? People are going to just join right in on that, because we'll be making our way to celebrate our Lord in Jerusalem. So here now we have Isaiah prophesying about the light coming to the Gentiles. But now the Jews... They feel rejected. So let's move on to the second half of the chapter. And I, like I said, this is primarily aimed at the Jews, but there are Gentile applications. Number two, number two. Notice the despondency of Zion. The despondency of Zion. So we saw the duty of God's servant in the first part. Now we see the despondency of Zion. Look at verse number... Um, well, let me give you an A, B, and a C here, all right? And... Um, Uh, I've got some practical things for us tonight to take out of this. Notice letter A, Zion's accusation, the Lord's answer. So Zion is going, Zion or the city of Jerusalem, the Jewish nation and Jehovah are about to have a back and forth discussion from 14 down through uh, verse 26. Uh, uh, Zion offers a complaint uh, and then um, uh, the Lord, Jehovah, He answers them. So, let's go back and forth here, okay? Notice verse 14, and we're going to read down through verse 20, alright? But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. So, there's the accusation, alright? Uh, and this is referring to the time they were carried away into Babylon. They're carried away into Babylon, and they're there for, who knows, how many years were the Israelites in Babylon? Seventy years. And after, you know, 70 years is an entire generation. Can you imagine being carried to Babylon, and you were, you know, like a a year old, and you lived there until you're 71? That's that's all. Back then, you know, that was probably a lifespan, maybe even a little more than a lifespan. And so an entire generation lived in uh lived in Babylon, and they felt like God had forsaken them. Now, um, I wrote this down. Here's what we do with God when he's punishing us, all right? If you want to write this down, I think it'd be good. We shift the blame. We shift the blame. It's not my fault, God. It's your fault. You have forsaken me. You know what? It's not God's fault. He gave you prophet after prophet after prophet, chance after chance after chance, warning after warning after warning, and you turn your back on Him, and then you got carried away into captivity. You know what's amazing about the Bible? Is that, um, you know, it's not like this gets written in retrospect where. After they get carried into captivity, some prophet writes and says, you got carried into captivity because you uh, uh, you forsook God, and so hence he's punishing you. No, no, no. This Isaiah 49 was written well over a hundred years before they were ever taken into captivity. God said, one day I'm going to have Babylon carry you into captivity, and when they do, you're going to say that I forsook you, but I'm telling you before it even happens, nope. I didn't forsake you. Let's look at the Lord's answer to this accusation. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Uh, All you moms in here, really all you women in here, whether you've got a baby or not, you have that motherhood instinct whether you've ever had a baby. Can you imagine giving birth to a child and then just putting it in a box and leaving it outside of a church door or a fire department. Can you imagine just abandoning your baby? That is not natural. That is not normal. But does it occasionally happen? It does. It does. You know, there's even stories about moms who put their babies in a trash bag and, and put them in a dumpster. It's horrible. And so for those who've experienced some sort of trauma, or seen that trauma, they can go, yeah, yeah, mom can forget her sucking child. And Jesus, or rather Jehovah says here, in verse 15, Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. I remember when I was a child, sometimes my dad would say to me when I was in trouble, Go to your room, I'll, I'll be in later to punish you. He'd leave me in there sometimes for like four or five hours. Now, it didn't happen a lot, but it did happen. And you know what I would start to think after about the third hour? I think, he forgot about me. He just forgot I'm in here. And I had this thought. I wonder if I left the room and just started walking around the house. If I'd be in trouble. I bet I could do that. And then I thought, no, I'm not even going to try it because... I'd probably get double spanking, so I'm not going to do that. And here Israel saying, "Yeah, you, you punished us, then you forgot about us. You left us here for seventy years." And Isaiah says, "He can't forget you. Your name. Well, look at it with me. Verse sixteen: Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Thy walls are continually before me." He said, "I've got your. I've got." Corporately, I've got your names on my hand. And I regularly look down at Zion. And I see the smoldering ruin coming up. The smoke from the smoldering ruin. And I see the walls that are broken down. He said, it's continually before me. I've not forgotten about you. I've not forgotten about you. Thy children, 17, shall make haste. Thy destroyers... And they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together, and come to thee as I live, saith the Lord. Thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. For thy waste and thy desolate places and the land of thy destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants, and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The children which thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the other, shall say again in thine ears, this pl- the, the, the place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. So the Lord says no. Eventually, in your captivity, you're going to grow large as a people. You're going to be blessed in your land of captivity. And I'm not going to forget about you. I'm not going to forsake you. I want to say to you tonight that if you are in a place where you pray and you feel that your prayers are not ever answered or not heard, I want you to know the Lord has not forgotten about you. He's not forsaken you. He hears every prayer, every one of them. He does care for you. He does love you. How many of you have ever been in a time in your life where you just felt like your prayers were just bouncing around the walls and not even getting past the ceiling? Anybody? You ever felt that way? I promise you that's not the case. The Lord is listening. I've shared this before, but it fits here. I can remember riding home with my dad from school, going through drama. Went through a lot of drama my seventh grade year in school. Kids were very mean to me. Can you believe someone would be mean to me? I'm done. I mean, come on, I'm a nice guy. Who would want to pick on me, right? But, um, I was a, a weirdo seventh grader. I had a cowlick. You know what a cowlick is, brother Tom? And the cow licked all the hair off the back of my head. So now I don't, I can't have a cow lick anymore. But back then I had, you know, no matter how much gel I used, I just had this, you know, alpha, alpha thing going on. And um, I was, you know, I was an alien. I was a seventh grader. And uh, the kids were just mean to me. And I remember coming home from school one day, and I'm telling my dad about my problems. And he just sits there. And he doesn't say anything. And I'm like... Hello? And he's just quiet. And I thought, He's ignoring me. I'm bearing my soul to my father and he's ignoring me. And then, um, that night about 7.30 or 8 o'clock, I'd be doing whatever, homework or maybe washing dishes, maybe watching TV or something. And my dad would say to me from the other room, he'd say, Hey, Richard, come in here. And I'd go running in and he'd say, Hey, you remember when you said this, this, and this at school, you know, on the way home from school today? I said, Yeah. He said, Here's what I think you should do. He was listening. He was just being measured in his answer. Sometimes when we pray and heaven is silent, it isn't that God's listening, it's that the Lord is making you wait. He's growing your faith. Letter B, we see Zion's concern, the Lord's commitment. So we saw under letter A how we like to shift the blame. Israel was guilty. They deserve to be punished. And then when they get punished, they say, Oh, God forgot about us. No, God didn't forget about you. You're just in trouble. By the way, when you're being punished by God, don't blame God. Blame yourself. Right? When, uh, When you do something wrong at work and the boss punishes you for it, just own it. Just own it. Don't make excuses. If there were kids in here tonight, I'd say, when your parents punish you for doing wrong, don't blame your parents. Look in the mirror and blame yourself. And all the parents said, amen. All right. I'm a parent. I'll join in on that amen. All right. Um, let, what we don't want our kids to do to us, let's not do to God. All right. Now, I wrote this word down under letter B, Zion's concern the Lord's commitment. I put this down. We question. We question God. We question God. So he says to Israel in 14 to 20, he says, um, you know, they say, you forgot about us. And he said, I, listen, I'm not going to forget about you. I love you. I've got you engraved on my hand. I love you so much. You're, the walls of your city are ever before me. I've not forgotten about you. In fact, I'm going to bless you in your captivity with many children. I've not forgotten about you. And here's how they come back. Look at verse 21. Then shalt thou say in thine heart... I love the prophecy of the back and forth here. Uh, It's almost like God saying... um, It's almost like you say to... Well, if I say this, you're going to say this. And then if I say this, you're going to respond with this. And if I respond with that, you're going to say this. But uh, when God does that, He's right. Okay, look at 21. Then shalt thou say in thine heart... Who hath begotten me these? Seeing I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and removing to and fro. And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These where uh, had they been? He's saying, uh, Israel's saying here. Okay, you got me carried away to captivity, and now we've had all these kids. That's fine. And now you're going to say, um, you're going to say, well, how are we going to get back to Zion? All right, how are we going to get there? It doesn't matter that we have all these kids in captivity. Our city is still laying in waste. Look at 22. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and, their daughter, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders, and kings shall be to thy nursing fathers, and uh, their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee, with their faces toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet, and thou shalt uh, know that I am the Lord, and they shall not be ashamed that wait for thee. And oh, how this prophecy has come true more than once. Here they're in captivity, and uh, they say, well, okay, we have all these kids, uh, but we're in captivity. How in the world are we going to get back to to Zion? And God says, I'm going to tell you how. The Gentiles are going to put you on their shoulders, and they're going to carry you back to your city, and they're going to give you your city back. And the kings and queens, they're going to nurse you back to health and they're even going to lick the dust off of your feet. You say, well, pastor, when did that happen? How about, uh, let's see, uh, how about when Babylon fell and the next king came in and um, we looked at this, right? What was that king's name that came in and set the Israelites free? What was his name? Anybody remember? Who was listening? Cyrus. It wasn't Darius, it was Cyrus. Thank you. I had a, a brain lapse there. I forgot. I'm the one that taught it. So Cyrus comes in. You know what he says to the Jews? He says, pick up your things and go, and here's some money to help you rebuild your city. And then when Artaxerxes is in charge, um, let's see. You had Nehemiah who says to the king, he says, uh, my people, uh, their wall is broken down. And you know what the king says to Nehemiah? He says, uh, here's the king's treasury. Go rebuild the walls to your city. And then a little while, Ezra comes along and he says, hey, he says, hey, listen, the, the temple, they put down the foundation, but they've not established it. They've not built it. And you know what the king says to Ezra? He says, here's the king's purse. Go rebuild your temple. Wow! And the Gentiles put the Jews on their backs and carried them and their children back and helped them reestablish their city. You say, well, pastor, you said this had... Uh, some uh, some uh, indirect effect on us Gentiles. Do you understand that if the Gentiles had not carried the Jews back to Jerusalem and helped them reestablish as a people group there? And by the way, they were always under some form of captivity all the way through uh, Roman rule. But uh, regardless, they got to reestablish their culture in their homeland, and guess what? Jesus had Bethlehem to be born in. And Jesus had Nazareth to grow up in. And Jesus had the temple to go worship in. And Jesus had uh, Jerusalem wherewith to be crucified in. And uh, guess what? We benefit from that because of that uh, we now know salvation is the Gentiles. And so what do we see here? We see that God says to the Israelites listen, uh, uh, you're going to be carried away into captivity, and you're going to complain and say, you forgot about us. And God says, I didn't forget about you. In fact, I'm going to bless you with an abundance of children while you're in captivity. And then they come back and say, well, uh, that's great, but uh, how are we going to get back to Zion? Now they're doubting God. They're doubting God, right? I have sat with people and, and tried to encourage them in the Lord through a time of discouragement. And sometimes, you know what I find with people? All they can see is the negative. That's it. I love to do this when I'm counseling, whether it's with a parent and child or a husband or wife or even two friends that aren't getting along. I sit them down and I say, tell me something positive about the person sitting next to you. And they just... have a hard time doing it because they're so upset with that other person. Right, and uh, they're negative. they is this a Southern phrase, or do y'all do we use this up here? They're down in the mouth. You guys ever heard of that before? Maybe that's just an old people's phrase. No, 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 I've never heard of it. Yeah, Kyle's never heard of it here, but uh, Bernice and uh, I'm not calling y'all old. I mean, but it, it, you know, you're older than Kyle, right? Down in the mouth. How many of you heard the phrase down in the mouth? Okay. So, it's a generational thing, alright? You're an old man like me, okay? Yeah, we're 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 older than our years, Manny. Down in the mouth, okay? Uh, and some people just get down in the mouth. And no matter what you say to cheer them up, it's just negative, 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 negative. And uh, God's saying through the prophet here, He's saying, I'm going to bless you with an abundance of children. And they just can't help but doubt God. Do you really believe in God's goodness in your life? How about when things go bad in your life, do you still trust the goodness of God? You remember Job when he lost everything? What did he say? Naked came I in this world, and naked I will depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Bible says in all this, Job worshipped God and did not curse Him. You know what you and I deserve? Let me just remind you, we deserve to die and spend an eternity in hell. And if you think your life is rough right now, every single person in hell would train places with you in an instant. Amen? Let's be positive. Let's rejoice. God is good. Alright? Don't doubt God. Don't doubt God. God is good. Let her see. We see Zion's apprehension, the Lord's assurance. So God says, hey, listen, I didn't forget about you. I'm going to bless you an abundance of children. Israel comes back and says... Yeah, that's great, but we're stuck in captivity, so what's it matter that we have all these kids? And God says, I'm going to have the Gentiles put you on their backs and carry you back to your land, and they're going to nurse you uh, back to health as as a people group, and they're going to give you the money you need. They're even going to lick the dust off your feet. Look at how Israel replies. Look at 24. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? They're like, nope. People who own slaves, they don't give them up. Alright, the, 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 uh, the one that's got the prey, he, he doesn't, uh, the mighty who has the prey doesn't just drop the prey unarmed and let it be. Look at 25 and 26 and we see the last response here. But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children, and I will feed them that oppress thee. With their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy savior and thy redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Now, this is the idea of, um, you know, you got a fish that's coming up to eat a smaller fish, and right before he gets them, an even bigger fish comes up behind and swallows the the the, the attacking um, uh, animal there, attacking uh, fish. And God, listen, they say, is the prey, is the mighty just going to drop this prey? I don't think so. And God says, you got to remember, I am bigger and stronger than the prey or rather than the mighty that has you in his mouth. And I will come along and I will set you free. What does this whole uh, Bible study tonight come down to? It comes down to the word trust. That's it. Do you trust God? When you don't know how to pay your mortgage, do you trust God? When the doctor gives you the C word, do you know how to trust God? When you're doing everything you can to get along with someone in a relationship and it's just not working, can you trust God? When life throws its worst at you, no matter what it is, Is God on the throne or not? Now, here's a beautiful truth, and I'm... When I try to run my own life, God is nowhere near the picture helping me. But when I lay down my cares at the feet of of heaven, casting your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And then you let God be God, some beautiful things happen. Amen? Amen? We just have to trust God. We even have to trust God when we're being punished. How many of you know what it's like to be punished by God? It's not fun, is it? When he's punishing you, don't get angry at him. Trust him. Right? And um, David is a great example of how to do that. All right. So that's Isaiah 49. I hope you got something out of it tonight. I hope it was an encouragement to you. Let's leave here and trust God. And uh, understand that he knows what is best, all right? Listen, uh, we've got Great Commission Saturday, this Saturday, and we've got a lot going on the property here now on Sunday. What a great day we had, Sunday. And uh, God's given us room to grow in here again at 1030, okay? But we don't have a lot of room to grow in the parking lot, so I need your help, Okay? How many of you here drive a four-wheel drive truck or SUV? Anybody? Okay. If you could, park on the wood chips or park at my house. All right? That would really help us. It really would. And let's open up as many parking spots. The other thing I would request is that if you are able-bodied, meaning you can traverse the stairs from the lower lot, help us by parking on the lower lot, First, let's fill up the lower lot and then let the upper lot uh, fill up later, all right? And then if you attend attend the 815 service, go to 815, go to life groups, and as soon as you can leave after life groups, get off the property. That'll open up more spots for people who are coming into the next service. Uh, That'll really help us. You say, I thought I was supposed to fellowship. Get here early for the 815 service and fellowship all you want, all right? That'll really be a blessing, so... Thank you for being here tonight. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer and ask God to bless us, give us a good rest of our week. We hope to see you Saturday and we're going to get at it, sharing the gospel and um, and telling people about Jesus and then church all day Sunday.